0: Tim Sports, August twenty first, two thousand twenty three episode. Glad you're joining us here today again. You can feel it, people. You you can finally breathe. We've made it through April, May, June, July, most of August. It, college football is officially here. It's officially here. It is officially. There's no other way to say it. I mean, for the most part. For the most part, school started. Uh, around the Southeastern Conference today. Fall camps have been wrapping up for most of these SEC schools throughout this week and last week. And football will be played this weekend. Crazy to say that. Fired up to hear it. Uh, SEC football specifically will be played this weekend in Nashville, in the Music City. We got Hawaii returning the trip to Vanderbilt. Uh, Vanderbilt went out there week zero last year, kind of put it on the Warriors last year. but things kicked off 6.30 p.m. Central Standard Time Zone uh, in Nashville as pat this weekend, but hey, if you hadn't seen it, there will also be a little construction I'd like to show you. I'd like to share that with you, with you real fast in case you have missed it via Jim Weber's Twitter. Here, you see the construction here in the background of Vanderbilt's stadium, right here, Memorial Stadium. It's not finished, and I know a lot of people have been giving Vanderbilt flack for that, but hey, it's progress in the right direction, man. This is an academia school, academic school, whatever you want to call it. It is what it is. They're building, they're adding on the stadium. It's going to be fine. It's not ideal, but Alabama, when I was in school, had the construction going on, I believe, in the south end zone. Arkansas's had construction, I think, back in 2014, 15, Texas. It happens. It's just a positive. They're updating the facility at Vanderbilt. You'll just see some cranes in the background this weekend, but hey, it's fine. Balls be on the field. Toe meets leather. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a fun weekend. we got SEC football going on. I'll stop sharing this with you for just a minute. Perfect. Perfect. But no, we got it. 6.30 Saturday night, Hawaii-Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt currently sits as a 17-point favorite against the Warriors. But we'll break down that on Thursday's episode. We'll get to that on Thursday's episode. But, as always, we'll also get you some camp intel, as much as we can for many SEC teams. I'm not just going to give you the – the boring stuff, stuff you already know. Anything that's new, I'm going to bring to the table. So you know, I'm not going to have any updates on any on all 14 teams. But the teams that did have some updates from talking to people, I'll bring that back up. And most important, this was the second and most important scrimmage happened this past Saturday for most teams. There'll be some surprising news you'll hear, some not surprising news you'll hear. You'll hear, and then a lot of whispers about a lot of drops from a lot of teams' wide receiver corps this fall camp. I thought there was no one better, so we got a guest today. I thought there was no one better to bring on to expound on the coaching, on coaching wide receivers at the college level than Tyler Siskey, wide receiver coach. He's been at Arkansas State, been at South Alabama, along with being the director of personnel and running recruiting departments at both Ole Miss and Alabama under Nick Saban. Uh, So Tyler will be a good guest. Technically, Tyler is my employer, quick U recruiting, but – I massive background in college football. He's one of the unique people that has an insight from the coaching side of things, but also from a personnel side of things. Like I was on the personnel side of things. I don't have a coaching background. I fuck, like I know X's and O's pretty well, but Tyler's been on both sides. So I thought he'd be a good person to bring on. He has a wide receiver background. And I mean, you've heard Kirby Smart, Nick Saban, uh, Brian Kelly mentioning drops. I mean, is that a lot of transfer portal kids coming in, not really being on the same page with the quarterbacks, whether that's a transfer quarterback uh, coming in, or the wide receivers being a transfer and just not being used, to not having that camaraderie or that timing or togetherness with that quarterback that they can bring together. We're fired up to hear what Tyler has to say about that. And before I get questions, I know it's going to happen. Yes, I saw Greg Sankey, what he had to say about changing the college football playoff format uh, after everything going on with uh, the conferences expanding. But I'm not going to get to that because there's football in the air. So we're going to get to that. Let's get to camp intel immediately. Uh, before we get Tyler on, starting off with the defending SEC West champs, the LSU Tigers, uh, they were open to the media for their second scrimmage, heard a lot of great things, uh, and some not so great things. That secondary was not great, it's very transfer portal, uh, heavy. Again, it's been a concern of mine, a concern of a lot of people, but again, they got lucky a little bit too because I hear there were a lot of drops in that game. Remember what I said, there's been a lot of drops around fall Caper, We're about to figure out what that is uh makai wingo big defensive tackle seems to be performing well also bringing an interior pass rush as i always say there, there's nothing more disruptive to a quarterback than an interior pass rush and you're sitting in his lap i mean he can step up in the pocket from an edge rush If you're in his lap there's not much he can do about it so if makai wingo's bringing uh some pressure from the interior side of the defensive line that's awesome mason smith was dressed out but did not participate don't know why i get the concept of Getting into the season, and that's kind of a big thing now with a lot of programs, kind of practice like the pros is kind of what it is. But this is a guy that hadn't had any live snaps. He was a non-contact guy in the spring. He needs reps. I, 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 it's too late now. Probably should have happened beginning of fall camp, first scrimmage. But Mason Smith not getting any reps, it's, not, it's doing him a disservice, in my opinion. That's topic for another day. Also, shocker here. Mason Taylor and Malik Neighbors are going to be key this year to Jalen Angels. It seems like he doesn't overly trust anyone after that. That's going to be on wide receivers Brian Thomas and Kyron Lacey. They're going to have to change that narrative because if Neighbors or Mason Taylor, God forbid, go down with an injury, doesn't sound like he's overly comfortable with anyone right now. But, again, I think LSU has the least amount of questions going into the season of anyone else in the SEC West outside of the secondary. But I don't really overly see a top 40. I don't see it again. Mason Smith isn't who we think he's going to be because he hadn't played in a full year. Someone goes down at the interior of the defensive tackle, the interior of the defensive line. That's not going to be good for LSU. So that's just some intel from the scrimmage there. Uh, Secondary still a concern, uh, but a lot of weapons. Jaden Daniels is going to do a lot of things. Apparently they started off a little rough, but, hey, they finished off strong. Uh, they practiced for, I think, an hour and a half before they really got to that 40, 60-play scrimmage. But that's it with LSU. Moving to the two-time defending national champs. Kirby Smart, or University of Georgia, Kirby Smart named Carson Beck, the starter this week after the Saturday scrimmage. Not shocking. This will be his fourth year in the program. Let's just say he knows his way around the Butts Mirror facility. Uh, if you don't know, that's Georgia's football facility. But this was expected. Not a surprise at all. Uh it was not a real run-heavy scrimmage just because a lot of the running backs are out. This is very pass-heavy. Kendall Milton, I saw, was did not participate. Branson Robinson was in a non-contact jersey. This is really kind of the Andrew Paul show. Uh, but again, not a lot of carries up front. Uh, it allowed Georgia a little bit to mix and match a little bit in the pass pro, get some different rotations for the offensive line. Uh, guys like Ernest Ernest Green, Xavier Trust moved around a lot. Uh, young guys like Dylan Fairchild, Austin Blasky, guys like that uh, stepping up. Um, I'm trying to think anything else from Georgia but d- defensively. I mean, look out, Michael Williams breakout season this year. Be on the lookout. Now, I don't really like to tout up a bunch of freshman defensive linemen when it comes to SEC. I, I really don't. I don't like to tout them up much. But look for true freshman Jordan Hall from Jacksonville, Westside in Jacksonville, I believe. I remember recruiting him when I was at UCF when he was a young pup. Dude is disruptive, living in the backfield. I think he had a sack and two tackles for loss in their scrimmage on Saturday. I don't know what unit, what team, if that was the first, second, or third team. I think a little bit. Combo of all three, but the guy lives in the backfield. Watch out as the season ends. Georgia could start a little slow this year, but I don't think, again, as I mentioned, the schedule's not gonna be there for maybe to then bite them in the butt. Maybe that South Carolina game's a little closer than we think. But I think by the end of the year, Georgia's gonna be rocking and rolling. But that's some key things to take from Georgia's camp. Carson Beck, no shocker. Going to be the starting quarterback again, Georgia's running back room. I don't think it overly has a dude in it. It's got some nicks and bruises right now. It was more of the Andrew Paul show trying to get Kendall Milton and Branton Robinson to game day to no week from a weekend, two weeks just under oh, two weeks from now. And again, Michael Williams, the, the second year guy out of Columbus, Georgia Hardaway High School, going to be versatile, going to be dynamic. And then the true freshman, Jordan Hall, watch out for them. But heading over to Tuscaloosa. The University of Alabama, the Crimson Titan, I mean, feels all you hear about is just the quarterback competition down in Tuscaloosa these days. And as of this moment, it's Jalen Milro's job until it's not, according to people at the Malmore facility. Key phrase, key phrase, hear me out here, people. Until it's not. Until it's not. Um, one second. It's until it's not. Sorry, I'm was, was saying if he was about to get on. Um this is going to come down to it's going to be an audition against the against Texas. It's going to come out second week against Texas in about two and a half weeks against his home state, Jalen This It's the second shot he started against Texas A and M last year, but this will be it. He's from Tompkins High School in Katy, Texas. For you people that aren't real familiar from a geography standpoint of the state of Texas, Houston metropolitan area. But this is going to come down to how he performs in this Texas game. So it's not over yet, but I think he makes a start. You'll see all of them against Middle Tennessee State. He'll, I think you're going to see him get the start against Texas as well. Um, Saban said he, he's not overly pleased. Um, he's a, he, he's not overly pleased with the wide receivers. Uh, it's just not an over – I think he's just, and he's gonna come on here in a bit and talk about it. They're just not, I think he's just trying not to get in their heads a little much. From people you're talking to, reports you hear. there were other, there were some drop balls. There were some drop balls. Guys like Isaiah Bond and Malik Benson drop some touchdown passes. I think from all from Tyler Buckner and Jalen Melrose. I think just Saban's trying not to get too down on these guys. While the defense is going to be better this year, though, I think the defense is going to be better this year. The receivers have a drop issue right now, but the defense is going to be better. There's just no doubt, just due to a couple reasons. I think the physicality is one, the ability to force turnovers, which has been a huge emphasis this offseason – More discipline overall, and just the rule changes. Just less snaps due to the clock running all the time. This wasn't a bad defense last year. I mean, people give a lot of flight to Pete Golden, but they only gave up 18 points per game last year and finished in the top 10 in scoring defense. I just – it's not – there's only so much room for growth, but I think there is just off the ability from having discipline, not jumping off sides – I get neutral zone infractions, forcing turnovers. You haven't seen the Alabama force a lot of turnovers last two years. That used to be a major trade under Kirby Smart and Jeremy Pruitt when they were coordinators. But again, I think the rule changes will just naturally allow them not to have to face as many plays, as many snaps. Then the pass rush has a chance to be very good. At the very least, it's going to be good. I think the secondary, at least the starters with Kool-Aid McKenstry, McKinstry, Terry and Arnold, are as good as they had in the last three or four years. I mean, some people may claim 2020, hey, look, they won the national championship, but Pat Certain, he's the best one they've had. But Josh Job, I mean, you got Kool Aid McKinstry and Terry and Arnold are better than him. And watch out for the second special teams, guys. I've been mentioning it. Talks Will Riker, but the punter, James Burnham, having a real nice camp. Those guys are going to be X-factors in regards to getting points if the, offensive stall, if the offense stalls out in the red zone and flipping the field position. Flipping the field position. But to, before we move to Arkansas, let me send the link over here to my guy, Coach Siski. We'll get him on in just a minute. There. Perfect. Perfect. All right, moving to Arkansas. Moving to Fable. A couple more teams to cover before we get Tyler Siski on. It sounds like Arkansas, just like most teams right now. Kind of tired of hitting one another. Sounds like a little bit of a scuffle broke out, which is fine. That's It's normal these times of year. Plus, it was very hot heard, in Fayetteville, and they ran 140, 150-play scrimmage. So Sam Pittman got what he wanted out of his Razorbacks. Um, also, Isaiah Setigna, the track star. I'm going to recruit him. He's from Fayetteville. His parents, I believe, are the track and field coaches at the University of Arkansas. But explosive in the scrimmage. I think he returned. The, I was reading the opening kickoff, live kickoffs. And when I say live, sometimes they're kickoffs and just getting looks, and there's no tackling, no contact. This was a live kickoff return opening to open up the scrimmage for a touchdown. This is a guy that K.J. Jefferson is going to need to step up from a vertical play threat downfield. This will be key. That's good news if you're a Razorback fan. Um, But guys that have a real feel for the team that you talk to, guys like Trey Biddy, I feel like this will be one of the best and deepest defensive lines they had in a long time. And and that's kind of a compliment towards the continuity with Deke Adams. I heard a stat, Arkansas had like five different defensive line coaches and like Four or five years, I think, after Sam Pittman's first year. Yeah, yeah, after Sam Pittman's first year, because they had Derek LeBlanc. But Deke Adams has been here this will be his second year in a row. So there hadn't really been a lot of continuity in that defensive line position room, as a from a coach standpoint. So therefore, you're it's going to be a revolving door. People are going to be in and out of that, not only from a coach standpoint, but from a player standpoint. But Arkansas likes their defensive line. That's what I've gathered from that scrimmage. Everything else didn't really. Feel the need to bring it up, stuff you already know. But the defensive line, they like it. They think it's one of the deepest groups they've had in the last decade. Uh, but moving to Kentucky, Deion Walker. Here he has been a force on the interior. Mark Stoops had to throw him out of the second scrimmage just to allow the offense to get some plays off. Um, going into his second season, he's a name to remember. Stoops also mentioned the Cats got to get better in short yard situations on offense. That scares me a little bit. It scares not, No need to overly panic, but – Again, their season and I got them tying second place in the East. And they have him, them having the tiebreaker with Tennessee do the head to head. They got to get rid of the preset snap penalties. And they have to get more physical and they have to convert in short yardage situations. For Kentucky to go win nine games, like I think they're capable of, that's gotta improve. Not to overreact, but it's something that Mark Subs mentioned in his press conference after Saturday's practice. And then pre like I mentioned, pre-snaps penalties, they're not gonna beat a team like Tennessee if they keep beating themselves or a team like Alabama, which I think that's it's a weird trap game for Alabama. Not ready, I'm not saying I predicted they're not gonna lose it, but again, Kentucky's offensive line the whole season comes down to them. We want to see a little bit more improvement. Just a couple more things to go over with a couple teams. South Carolina, apparently offensive line is apparently impressed a little bit in their second scrimmage, and then the last thing. Didn't gather much more than Spencer Rattler, I think, is having a hell of a camp. Him and the Dow Loggins' marriage should be really good. But the receiver year, Omega Blake has had a big camp at wide receiver. Third-year guy. Should step up big time this year. um, Should really help some other guys. So uh, that that would be big to help juice Wells out because I think he needs a more consistent guy to be his second guy. So maybe Blake steps up this year. But that's that's a couple things I've heard from South Carolina camp. Not digging deep there. Ole Miss – just some notable additions and subtractions. Uh, Corey Coleman, it looked like he the linebacker, Corey Coleman transferred from TCU was on the roster last year. Um, inside backer was at practice today, this morning. Uh, he was suspended for the last, I think, week and a half, two weeks. He was back at practice today. And then corner, De'Andre Prince going to be a starter, was arrested for DUI, I believe, Sunday morning, He was not at practice today. Don't know the future for him. Not going to speculate on that, but that's something to keep note, just a little addition and a subtraction. This is a defense that can't be losing bodies. They're not deep enough. That's why I have them picked to finish seventh in the West. Again, Ole Miss isn't going to be a bad team. You're going to hear them when I'm talking here in a minute about the top five games in the SEC I'm most confident about or involving SEC teams that I'm most confident about. Ole Miss is going to be in there in an optimistic, positive outlook from that perspective. But Ole Miss on defense cannot be losing bodies. DeAndre Prince would be a big loss if that's for the season. I don't know that. But, again, Kari Coleman back at practice. DeAndre Prince not there. And then, finally, before we get to Tyler Sissy, you talk a little wide receiver play, a little SEC play. Mississippi State continue to hear good. I wouldn't say, be ready to say great things about the defense yet, but the front seven, they got a lot of experience up front. If the safety position gets it figured out, look out. Now, that's going to be between Alabama transfer Marcus Banks, Kentucky transfer Jacoby Albert, and then Chris Keys. Two of them need to step up, if not all three, for the depth standpoint. But here, if Mississippi State can get the safety position figured out, the defense is going to be pretty good this year. Defense is going to – and this, this is a defense for the most part It held Quinchon Jukins in check last year in the Egg Bowl. So I like the upside of the Mississippi State defense. but They have to get that back end, and specifically the safety positions figured out. But let's get my guy on the show here, Coach Tyler
1: Siski, Coach Sisko, what up, baby? What it is. Where are we at right now, man? We at the house. We're at the man cave, man. We're getting a little. Uh, we got the Commanders and Ravens on. We got the Braves on. We're we're rocking a little bit. Got got my man Noxie, over here watching some ball with me. So we're we're doing doing what we do. Perfect. We got you live. Appreciate you joining in on everybody who doesn't
0: know Tyler Siski. Uh, could have been a position coach at Arkansas State, South Alabama, specific specifically wide receivers. Am I correct there, Coach Siska? That's it. Yep. And then he's been running recruiting departments, uh, director of player personnel at Alabama for the 2013-14 seasons for Nick Saban. Malt, two different tours uh, at the University of University of Mississippi, Ole Miss, with Hugh Freeze initially at 12 staff. Matt Luke brought him back on as an associate AD. And like I said before the show, Tyler Siski has a unique experience where there's a lot of personnel guys, there's a lot of coaches, there's not many guys that have done both. And I think your unique perspective of that, uh, Coach Cisco, anything else? Just tell us a little bit about yourself. You were obviously the COO, uh, founder of Quick U Recruiting right now, my employer. Um, but just tell us a little bit about for people that don't know you, just tell us a little bit about, about your background, how you got started in football, and kind of your experiences in Alabama, uh, South Alabama, Arkansas State, and Ole Miss.
1: Yeah, I'll sum up the, all the last 20 years in about 13 seconds here. But now they, uh, no, we, uh, I ran uh, recruiting, I, get, I got into recruiting probably about halfway through my career. You know, before staffs got really big, I was the you know, recruiting coordinator as a position coach, right? When staffs were normal size, before they got fifty-five people in the in the in the staff room. And then uh, when I came to Ole Miss with Freeze, that would have been in man twelve. And, twelve. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you know the years better than I do. Um, you know, recruiting got big, and then I I, I kind of did the I went off the field and did some and started you know doing recruiting, but I really didn't change anything. I just kind of did what I you know did what I always did, but. Then when going to Alabama is when I kind of first learned how a big operation runs, right, and how to uh, put everything together and 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 roll from there. But yeah, it's it's uh, I've always been a coach at heart. Um, never really changed anything from a personnel standpoint, and that's probably where I'm a little bit different than everybody else that's done it is you know I did it more from coming from the coaches side than I did from the personnel side, but. That was the personnel side was the part that I probably had room to grow um, when I first started and, and just learning the ins and outs and evaluating players. And, you know, Kevin Steele, who's now the defense coordinator at Alabama, and Joe Pendry, who's still obviously around, are two guys that really uh, took me under the wing and really uh, got me into that system as far as learning how to evaluate players.
0: Yeah. Which which leads me into my question here. How, how do you think, like I said, I think you're unique from that standpoint? There's not, uh, maybe you and Jeff Collins ever, but I, you did it more in modern I felt, recruiting than Coach Collins did. Right. How do you think that it helped your career from you being able to communicate to coaches from like, hey, this is this is where we're seeing it, almost like a special team coach a little bit, the roster from 1 through 85 or 1 through 30 out, yeah, whatever you want to call it, including the walkouts How do you think that affected your career, helped your career just from an overall standpoint as a coach?
1: Well, you got to see things differently, right? I, I feel that sometimes in the the personnel world, sometimes you look and you see it all the time in the NFL, right? Everybody looks at just numbers and, you know, how fast is a guy, how tall is he, you know, you still have to play football. And, you know, that's what coaches see. Coaches a lot of times, sometimes you have to protect them from themselves um, is they want guys that are, that are, you know, easy to coach, or this guy is very productive or whatever. And there's gotta be a marriage of both. Right. And so, you know, what helped me a little bit was with the communication of the coaches. I think, um, by the time I got into recruiting and doing the personnel full-time, most everybody that I worked with knew me as a coach. And so they kind of communicated with me a little bit differently. Um, And so I was able to kind of marry both sides and and ease that transition. And then I I think it's really important. um, One thing that probably helped me better than anything is somebody in the room besides the head coach needs to know about everybody on the board, right? And have – you know, unbiased opinions because, you know, as I was coaching receivers and I recruited the state of Alabama for 20 years, you know, I would go in, I would like really push like one player, right? So if I had one kid in my area, I'm pushing him because that's the guy I want to get past. Well, somebody has to tell me, hey, Tyler, that's awesome that you're pushing him but that guy you're not pushing is the second best guy on our board. And you may not realize it when you're an assistant coach is because you're just concentrating on your one area. So I think that's really uh, one thing that, that helped me a ton. For sure, for sure. So
0: transition to the coaching side. We're putting the whistle back on here, Coach. From a standpoint of – I addressed it at the beginning of the show. There's been a lot, I guess you said, rumors, reports. I mean, even the coaches have came out in press conferences and said they've had drops in these camps, whether it's due to transfer portal, guys not having the summer to work with each other. Again, you coach the wide receivers. There's no one better to talk about this. How did you handle – is it a yip thing? Like, how did you handle it as a position coach when you had a receiver or a group of receivers that were struggling to catch the football? And like, within a certain, we're this close to the season. How did you handle that?
1: Well, it's one of my pet peeves. Uh, talked about it a little bit today on our show today is um, don't ever be the catch the ball coach, right? Is yep. everybody, everybody, is this a PG rated show or can I get crazy? You can say whatever you want, brother. Right. So, <laughs> but you know, you, you can't. I'd probably get canceled doing stuff some of the stuff i did did today but you can't be a catch the ball coach i mean everybody in the building knows that you drop the ball you know the people who know nothing about football know that you're supposed to catch the football so don't just yell at a guy hey catch the ball you know i'm a big believer in that because sure if he's if he's got something fundamentally wrong with um how he's catching the ball then teach him what he's doing wrong don't just say catch the ball how about is his hand placement bad You know, sometimes you don't say anything. Sometimes it's a, you know, a contested catch. It's a bang, bang play. And maybe he gets hit before he can get it put away. Or maybe you need to tuck the ball faster. Maybe you need to catch the ball away from your body. You know, one thing from a catching the ball fundamentally standpoint that a lot of kids, so when you get them, I mean, even really good players like to catch the ball with their body, right? And so that's it works great in high school because they're so much better than everybody they're playing against. They have a lot of separation. Well, once you get to college, that separation closes and there's not as much. Now you get to the pros, there is no separation. So as you get older and you if you continue to advance, you know, the separation gets less and less from the DB. So the point of the drill is is get you know getting the ball away from your body. Well, so many kids in high school catch catch it with their body, and I always try to explain to them like the tip of a ball is a bullet, right? And so you have to have a flat surface just the way the same way that Kevlar works, right? is you got to have a flat surface where that point is and you got to be able so if the ball's above you know you got to have your hands above and then it's, it, it works in a, in a rotation with your hand placement well i would have i think there's three major components when you're catching a football um, that get lost and one is you got to catch it with your eyes right that's 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 number 1 you can do so much work in off season with a tennis ball machine like we would put numbers on a tennis ball machine and make them read the numbers those men shot and you do one hand two hands you know left hand right hand two hands to really watch it all the way in just like baseball right you want to hit it hit it watch the ball away the, the bat um obviously hand placement where where your hands are so if it's above your waist up down and moving your arms like a jumping jack right and then you know the last part is obviously catching it away from your body and that goes back to what we were just talking about with contact so um i think i told you this morning we were joking about it this morning but um i would do this is where i'd probably get canceled these days um they would probably outlaw me but i literally would take the jugs machine make the player take his helmet off and i would turn a jugs machine up to 60 miles an hour and and point it right at their face it's amazing how quick they will get their hands out away from their body and because it's gonna hit them in the face if they don't and yeah. i know this is gonna shock everybody but in 20 years i never hit a kid in the face they always got the ball right and then last part was to shoot, I'd shoot it at their nuts. They'd get their hands turned over and away from the body. And and you do that for 10 minutes and then it's over. You know, they don't ever mess it up ever again. So, um, but for me, that's the, that's the big part is just make it, it's routine play, make it routine, right? I mean, you see baseball players boot the ball in the infield. You don't go, you know, don't make an error. I mean, it happens. So just don't make it a bigger issue than it has to be.
0: From a standpoint of the evaluation process of bringing someone into the program that's a wide receiver, where do you think most just generalization here most schools miss on wide receivers in the evaluation process, in your opinion?
1: Um, I had two things that I kind of looked at, you know, that would kind of I looked at my big thing was balance and body control. Um, that was probably my number one criteria when when evaluating receivers is people get caught up with speed, right? And don't get me wrong, speed is important. It's cool, right? Um, but I was okay if I had a slower guy, um, if they had great balance and body control, but with that, they had to have great uh one step change of direction. I think you can teach anyone that's that's athletic. I think they can they can come through and uh sink their hips and come in out of routes if they're athletic enough. Uh, But one step change direction or zone cuts, you know, are really important. And then balance and body control. Like so many guys on jump balls you see just lose all aspect of body control. You know, so going up and getting the 50-50 ball, the back shoulder ball, all those things that when you're able to have to – you're going to have to contort your body um, to make plays, especially on back shoulder balls. I think that's really important. Um, But I think people get – you know – they're looking for dead speed guys, which it is, it helps. Don't get me wrong, I'm, I like them too. Uh, but, you know, we were able to make, you know, we had a really good room at uh, Arkansas State. We had a really, really good room at South Alabama. Where we had a ton of those guys go to the NFL. Um, and we really didn't have to beat a whole lot of people on them, right? So, I remember, you know, Jalen Wayne, who's playing with the uh, Browns right now. We, we beat West Florida, you know, and uh, Jalen Tolbert, who's with the Cowboys. We had Jamarius Wade. we had Malik Stanley, we had, you know, Jordan McRae. We had uh, Kawan Bakers playing with the Saints. This is at South Alabama of all places. So, we, yeah. you got, you know, again, these guys aren't famous NFL players, but they got a cup of coffee in the league and are good enough to go play there, which, you know, a lot of receiver. you know, that was probably the deepest receiver room I've ever been a part of.
0: Yeah, no, Cisco, when we were at uh, the personnel symposium last week with Alonzo Highsmith up there talking about evaluating – he was bringing up receivers and say, yeah, speed's great, but he brought up what you said, a balanced body control. Like, what he, he said he noticed the thing that translates the best from the college game to the NFL was their ability, the balanced body control to get the yards after the catch. He's like, I feel like that translates. If they can do it in college, like it usually translates well to the NFL game. So, it's like you said, it's not just straight line speed. Oh, man, this kid ran a 10, 800 meter. It's not – it's not just that from that standpoint, but before we move on here, just let everybody know Tyler Siski here from McCrady and Siski Cisco just moved over to the Disrupt Media, uh, correct? Over there, we yeah, guys used to run it, up in the next round.
1: I had a first show today. It, it started yeah. off great. We had a we had, we had technical difficulty. We've been pumping it up for about a week. We had technical difficulty with links getting it started, but we got it. We got it cranked up. We we'd go live uh, uh, Monday, Tuesdays, and Thursdays at two o'clock. Uh, but we had a really good really good crowd today um and uh looking forward to it and with uh it's all started by you know ryan brown jim dunaway and lance taylor of the next round guys over in birmingham um but we'll have show with uh on the same channel be tom Luganville, bill peter burns um uh forgive me uh Dave, who, who, Daniel it was jeremiah name. yeah and uh brock Heward. you know we we'll are all be on the same channel um doing some stuff there so it's going to be a really if you like college football it's a really good uh good channel
0: that's no, exciting stuff Now i just want to throw that in before we get it just a few more questions yeah. to get you out of here again appreciate oh, your good. time brother but no, with the transfer portal being heavy now we're putting your gm bat, hat back on you had to put the whistle up we're putting the jug machines up kid got hit in the face we got to take it off for a minute
1: i did have hey, uh, ever told you that that ever tell you a story where I, I took my brother-in-law like uh about to cut his ear off with it he tried he wanted you're to good. try it one day yeah he was. i got in trouble because he had to get his ear stitched up so he he tried he tried the jugs machine and got hit with a seam going by his ear because he's moved his head out of the way.
0: Good grace. Well, in this story, you wouldn't be taking him. No. So your GM hat is back on here. Yep. You are running a personnel department. You're making all the decisions like you are for Matt, Luke, and he Freeze here. What what's your strategy from a roster building standpoint, or like, give me? A, you don't have to if you don't want to, but just a percentage of maybe portal kids, high school kids. What is Tyler Siski's strategy now? Now you've been out for three or four years. What is – what would be your strategy in today's game? I'm, I'd love to hear this answer.
1: I think it depends on where you're at, right? I, th- I think what level – you know, if I'm at South, I'm at Arkansas State, I'm at Ole Miss, I'm at Alabama. What, what level – where am I located? But if I if I had everything rolling, I would take uh, as many high school kids as possible. Um, I think people forget there's a reason they're in the portal. Um that's probably the biggest thing is, you know, guys that are really good players and are really happy and, and productive, those guys don't go on the portal very often. And if they do go on the portal, can you afford them? Are you at a place where you can afford to, to get them? Right. And so I, I just think with the culture, I, I think culture is so important um, on a team from, and this is going back to the coaches part, right. Is I, I think, culture is so important. Um, mental, physical toughness, you know, competitive character. I think those are things that are so important when you're putting together a team. And I just, I would rather build that at the start. Now, the catch 22 is, is if you're at a, a South Alabama um, or an Arkansas State and you get those kids and you develop them, um, then you're you're at risk of losing them. If you get, get really good, you know, they get really good. And, and you know, that was the thing where you know, I don't know if my career would actually be where it's at. I don't know if Hugh Freezes at Auburn right now if the portal was around because we would have been rated. You know what I mean? Like because yeah. we we did a really good job. I, I thought with Steve Roberts was the head coach at Arkansas State when I first got back, and I thought we did a great job evaluating players and got some really good play like Demario Davis, right? So starting Mike Backer, captain for the New Orleans Saints. I mean he's from Brandon, Mississippi. He he had no he had one FBS offer and that was Arkansas State. I mean, we had, you know, we, we took so many kids that, you know, M.D. Jennings, we had all these NFL players on our team. You didn't know it at the time, right? But we ended up with all these NFL players on our team. We would have never kept those guys in the past. You know what I mean? Like, they would have gone. Don Jones from Town Creek, Alabama, he'd been gone. You know what I mean? He's one of the best nickels I've ever been around. Uh, Alex Carrington was a third-round pick. You know, you just go on and on and on. I mean, James Bradbury, who's an all-pro in the NFL, he was a corner. We signed him as a corner. I mean, we don't keep those guys, right? And so – does your, do you end up with the same players and able to win and move on? I, I don't think – because I don't think we win because I think all our players are gone. You know, it's yeah. it's a whole different time, and that's the part that's negative. But if I could, I would still build it with high school kids. But that's why I, I'm a big proponent of uh, the transfer rule being amended. You know, I, I don't believe in immediate eligibility. They can transfer if you want to. You're not preventing them from transferring. But I'm a big believer that, you know, at worst, you know, if they want to be immediately eligible, graduate our brain's graduation rates back up. And, and if that's what they want to do after that, you at least had them for three years. Right. So that it's just a catch 22. But if I, if I had to do all over again, like if I was at old Miss, I would have liked my crack at it at Ole Miss now Yeah, uh, because we were coming off probation. No 20, if I didn't have a 25 and had the portal, we would, yeah. we could have had some fun. I mean, we could have had a, we would have, we would have won very quickly because there was a lot of issues that I would like to fix immediately. Uh, one of them being on defense at linebacker. You know, I think in the past they had thrown a bunch of stuff up against the wall and hope it stuck at linebacker. I think we could have fixed that. I think, you know, instead, you know, on offense, we had to get all these young kids on offense. Ends up being really good players, right? We had to get all these young players on offense. And back then it wasn't going just to say take a Juco kid. That doesn't solve the problem. So we had to build it young. I would have liked my crack at it, and I would have liked my crack at the NIL stuff too. That would have been fun.
0: No, I mean you talk about it in the office. That's why I brought it up. It's like he'll have an interesting take on this question. But Cisco, before we get you out of here, yeah, you're good. What's your sure. thoughts heading into the 2023 season? Specifically, the SEC. Any teams you like? Who you're kind of down on? Who you expect to win the East-West? I mean, anything you want to just take before you get out of here? Just SEC show. Anything your thoughts head into 23?
1: Yeah, I think it's going to be a really um, fun year. I think it's probably more balanced top to bottom. Than um, it's been in a long time. Uh, saying who's going to win and who's going to lose and all that stuff. Like you look at the West. I mean, the this West wide open.
0: It's been in uh, a long.
1: You know, I was talking today. I, I'm not. I'm not going to be the guy that sits here and says Alabama's going to not win games and all that stuff. They. I mean, like I'm going to ride. I'm going to ride with my guy, Coach Saban, until it until it until it, the wheels fall off, right? I mean, he's good at what he does. Uh, but I, I think LSU's going to be good. I think you know they get their their corner issues solidified and they will. They got good players. Um, I think LSU is going to be good. I, I like Texas A&M. I think they're going to be good. Um, I, I literally like things about everybody. I think Ole Miss can roll out eleven guys on offense to give anybody in the country problems. Um, depth will be the issue with them. You know, can they stay healthy? Same thing on defense. They got so many new pieces. You know, how quickly you know do they come together as far as understanding scheme when the when the live bullets are firing? Right. So, you know, it's not you know they. Anytime you put in a new defensive scheme, and you got that many new players, um, run fits are a, are a huge concern. You know, can and they're already you know that's what's coming, right? So, are they going to be able to fit the run? They're going to be light at backer, um, those things. Um, Auburn, man, I, I, I said this on the show a couple of weeks ago. I think Auburn's going to have more to say about who wins the West than any team, yeah. uh, because I think they can literally beat anybody. And Hugh Freeze will. He will beat somebody he's not supposed to beat. Um, so he'll end up that'll have something to say about it. And then Arkansas, I really, uh, Sam Pittman's one of my favorite coaches on the planet. I just, I would, I love the guy, I think he's awesome. Um, I like what they're doing. I just think the West is wide open. And then state, obviously, um, I'm big, I'm big fan of Zach Arnett. Um, Barbara, big fan of him offensively. I I think they're going to do some really good things, be solid defense. Um, so a lot of questions over there about who wins, right? Um, the east same thing with the east man i i can literally go through and say positives about every single team that you really like um i'm probably a little higher the two that i'm probably in the east higher on the most is florida yeah um i may be the only person on the planet that's high on florida but you're taking I, I, you're taking the over in
0: five and a half huh cisco I'm oh and absolutely yeah i'm not
1: I'm not, even, I'm not even checking up on that I, i'm a big believer in billy napier Um, I I think Billy's an exceptional coach. Um, He's an exceptional program builder. He's exceptional at at establishing culture. Um, I just, I'm a big fan in in Billy. Um, And then the other team that I'm probably a little bit uh, higher on the most is that's kind of sleepwalking through and nobody's talking about it's Kentucky. Yeah. You know, I think Liam Cohen coming back, um, you know, they definitely missed him last year. Um, And you just saw with, with Will Levis in the in the production drop the senior as a junior when you had Liam as the coordinator. And then Devin Leary, a lot of SEC people don't know anything about Leary. I mean, the guy was undefeated at NC State. This guy's a baller, man. Yeah, Um, he's legit. And man, like, great
0: skill guys on the edge, yeah, Probably The best
1: they've ever had. I am I'm, I'm a I'm I'm all in on Kentucky as well. But here's the problem: I like South Carolina, I like everybody, right? And so the problem is this: is that you're you're high on these teams. This is where I have a tough time because I'm high on these teams but here in a couple of weeks, they're going to have to play each other. And there's going to be a team that wins and a team that loses. Right. And so, I mean, if you, you may end up, and that's why my whole thing with the West is like, it's all about scheduling, man. I mean, you look at the West, I mean, you could, they could end up, you know, cannibalizing themselves. Yeah. Um, And have, you know, really good football teams that don't make the playoff. And I, I think that's what, you know, I said this the whole time I said, everybody wants this 12 team playoff. Beware, Be careful what you ask for, because you're going to end up with a, like if Alabama, let's say Alabama for whatever reason, let's say they go 10-2 and two this year, and, well, they don't get the playoff. But if in a 12-team playoff, they're in there, and you're getting prime Alabama towards the playoff. You don't want those problems. I mean, who wants to play yeah. those guys in the first round, right? And so you're going to end up with some teams that get hot towards the end of the year, and and uh, I, I'm more probably excited about next year uh, with the playoffs than I am this year. But there's going to be some good teams get left out in the league for sure. No, Cisco, you're right in regards to the West. I, heck, I've Ole Miss finishing last, but it's six and six.
0: I asked mean, you got I, I got the Rebs seventh, baby. But again, not. I mean, they're six and six. It's a ball. I got every. I got every team in the West getting the six wins. Not now. I don't have every team in the yeah. East doing that. But I'm with you. The West. The West is. It's as open now. I think it's a three team race to actually win the division. But again, from top to. I think you could throw four through seven really between Arkansas, Ole Miss, State, and Auburn in a hat and pull their names and you can make, yeah, they finished fourth or seventh.
1: I, I believe you. Yeah, Ole Miss this season is going to depend on how healthy they are, right? So, yeah the thing – they will be in every single game because they got – the they I don't care who the quarterback is, they got plenty of them. And they're always going to have a good player at quarterback. And when you have a good quarterback, you're going to be in games. Um, so, you know, if they can stay healthy and then defensively get the run fits and things like that cleaned up and, and figured out early in the season – um, and they got, they got time, right. They, they open up, um, with Mercer. Uh, then they, then they go to Tulane, two which will be an interesting game. Not so much. I think they're going to win, uh, Me convincingly too. that game. Um, and the sneaky one, the sneaky one. Yeah. You've been saying it. I've been saying it. I need to, I need to remind myself to say this tomorrow on the show, but the sneaky one is Georgia tech coming here the third week. Um, they got, but they got, they got good toward the end of the year. They started playing well. Week before the
0: Alabama
1: game. Uh, hey, week before the Alabama game. Uh, I can see that one being uh a little bit sleepy, sleepy. game. And they yeah. better they, that's not gonna be an easy. I think that's the hardest one of the three starter three starting games. And then they go on they go on a roll, man. They got Alabama, LSU, Arkansas, they go to Auburn. Yeah. Uh but I'm uh I'm 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 here for the Ole miss Auburn game on the twenty first. Twenty first of October is my gonna be my favorite weekend of the year. Oh, so dude, got,
0: that's, what, that's like a, that's a top three game in the conference this year. Just do we, we got Alabama,
1: we got Alabama, Tennessee, we got Auburn, uh, Ole Miss, and we got Penn State, uh Ohio State. Same day. You got your guy. You got your guy off, uh, McCrady and Siski. Darty getting married that day, man. Oh man, my guy, my guy's good dude, man. He, I, I was joking <laughs> with him about the getting married on the day, but he, he uh. Text me after the show. I was like, "I'm just kidding, man. Congratulations!" But I told him to get used to it. It's, it's, you know, you get married, you get to, you have to do things like that. So, it is what it is. Shoot, Cisco, I appreciate
0: you joining us, man. We had Tyler uh, Siski, uh, former college wide receivers coach, also dabbled in the personnel world. Been associate AD at Ole Miss. Been the DPP at Ole Miss. Been the DPP at Alabama with Nick Saban. Uh, unique perspective. Has been on the coaching side at high levels. Obviously, been in, on the higher ends of the personnel side uh in alabama and old miss currently the ceo founder of quickie my employer and then also on mccready and Siski. now on the disrupt media uh company Cisco. monday and tuesday and thursday from uh two to three 3 15 ish right central so time we'll go, from,
1: we'll go from two to no later than 3 30 they'll kick us off at 3 yeah. 30 so we'll try to get out of there but we we start wrapping up at three then we we'll go off the off the rails about something you know we'll we'll talk about something crazy if, Uh, conspiracy theories or something for a little while and we'll get we'll get the hell out of there
0: i i listen to every show so i encourage everybody to go out there and watch if you're not already great
1: show mccrady and siski siski appreciate you joining us brother appreciate you man y'all have a great day you too man
0: tyler siski joining us Great dude. Great dude. Work with him every day. We chop it up in the office about this. I thought he'd be a great guest from this perspective. Just because he knows so much about wide receiver play. Coach the position. A lot of drops going on in fall camps from the, I mean, this from coach, the head coach's mouse. I mean, I don't think they're exaggerating players dropping the football. So I wanted him to bring an interesting, the unique um jug machine drill. He brought in 60 miles per hour to the face,
1: to the
0: lower area. You need to catch the football. You got to protect the face, and so you got to protect the family jewels. So, from that perspective, and also, like I keep saying, from a personnel perspective, roster management, he's done it for the goat. He's done it for the best of the best. Nick Saban, Hugh Freeze signed a hell of a class here in thirteen. Robert Larry Laramie Tunzel, those guys. That, that was Siski in them. Uh, and then he was back as an associate AD. I come into a Matt Luke in the Matt Luke era. Does a fantastic job. Better human being. I appreciate him taking the time uh, and joining us for tonight's episode. Last segment. I promise you. Last segment, top five games I am most confident in heading in to the 2023 season. Week and a half out, we're getting there. Well, we got week zero Vanderbilt, like I mentioned, and we'll break that down Thursday. But these are games I'm not talking about – a Georgia beaten Vanderbilt. I'm not talking about that. And this and these include non-conference games too. But these are games that you'd be like, "Huh, oh, he's real confident in that one." These are these are the non-obvious confident games. Again, not the Georgia Vandies, not the Alabama Vandies, even though Alabama didn't play Vanderbilt, but st- but stuff like that. Uh, so let's get into it. We're gonna go five, four, three, two, one in order. Starting off with number five, my fifth most confident game involving an SEC team this year. It's, it's a conference matchup, November fourth. Kentucky Start with Mississippi, Davis-Wade Stadium, and the Mississippi State Bulldogs. This game sandwiched in between the Tennessee game, which is going to be a high-emotional game at Lexington at Kroger Field. I think Kentucky's going to get the job done. Coming off a win here, head on the road to Mississippi State. And you know who's waiting in the wings the next week at Kroger Field is Alabama. It's a sandwich in between the Tennessee and Alabama games at Mississippi State. These two teams play every year. I think state's gonna have their safety situation figured out. They're gonna be good on defense. I, I like Mississippi State in this one. I had it my I think this is one of Kentucky's three losses, and I'm high on Kentucky. It's just where it falls in the schedule, where it falls that late in the year. My fifth ranked game I am most confident in is Mississippi State over Kentucky on November 4th. My number four, most confident game I am in involving an SEC team. October 21st, the third Saturday in October. Tennessee and Alabama. Alabama usually avenges its its losses from the previous years, the very next year, nine times out of 10. Like Siski was saying, if you're going to pick a team to win the West, smart money says go with the go. Go with the guy that has done it more than anybody else. And, again, I like LSU. I like Texas a m this year. And that's a conversation for another day. I already said I think Alabama is going to win the West. But, again, this point. Here's another fact. History usually repeats itself. Alabama usually, there's a game they circle every year that they lost the previous game. Because, again, Nick Saban's only had two undefeated teams at Alabama, 2009 and 2020. So most years, they're coming off a loss, and they have those games circled. I mean, it's been Johnny Manziel and Texas A&M after the 2012 game. 2013, that was their game. It was really circled. Texas A&M last year, or from 2021, they lost that game at Kyle Field. Barely avenged it last year. But they did LSU a couple of times, Auburn a couple of times. They usually avenge that loss. And there's usually also, to be fair to Bryant-Denny Stadium, it it, kind of gets a golf clap mentality around the country. And and to be fair, been to a bunch of games there. Growing up, went to school there, played there. Yeah, I mean, it kind of has that a little bit. It's a spooled fan base. They're used to winning at a high level. But there's also a game or two every year where Bryant-Denny Stadium is probably the loudest stadium in the country on that specific day. It's not often, but it happens a game or two. And this year, three of Bama's biggest games this year, Texas, Tennessee, and LSU all at home. I think this Tennessee game on October 21st, the third Saturday in October, will be one of those. I think this is one of those games. And you got to ask yourself, because you talk to anyone at Tennessee, their question mark is, can Joe Milton be consistent this year? So I'm going to ask the question here. Can Joe Milton go get it done in Bryant's court this year? I don't think he does. I think this is a game Alabama has really circled on, has circled on the schedule this year. Whether they want to believe it or not, they're not talking about it right now, but the off-season conditioning program starting in May through about a month ago into July probably discussed quite often. This is a game they have circled. I anticipate Alabama winning this game, so therefore this is my fourth most confident game in the SEC this year, Alabama getting it done at home with a compliment assist to the crowd, because I think the crowd's going to be raucous in this. you got to think, there's a lot of Alabama fans that haven't really, for lack of a return, thought about Tennessee in the recent future. Now I think finally losing to them kind of refreshed the rivalry. It had been 16 straight years, so it's a refresh of the rivalry. Alabama will be fired up to return that favor for what Tennessee did to Alabama last year. But moving to my third most confident game in the SEC for the 2023 season, the November 18th matchup, Florida at Missouri. First, I think I think the Gators are going to struggle this year. You heard Tyler Siski, he was he was a little higher on uh, Billy Napier and the boys. I'm not. I have them four and eight. They're going to finish sixth in the East, just in front of Vanderbilt. Second, I think Missouri is going to be a pretty good football team if they can get the quarterback situation figured out. Looks like it's going to go into the season. Looks like it's going to go to the season uh, with Brady Cook, Sam Horn, and Jake Garcia. Also, got to factor this in. I've lived in both these areas before dealt with both these kind of kids. It's late November, and it's going to be cold in Columbia, Missouri. Believe me. Looked up the average temperature today. It's going to be in the 40s, if not the 30s. Uh, news flash here, guys. Florida's warm that time of year, and Florida boys, which is majority of Florida's team, don't like playing in the cold, especially when your season's not going the way you thought it would end of the year, week before the big rivalry game to end the year against Florida State. I'm confident Missouri gets this done. I, I I don't really like Florida going up there when it's cold. Not really in for bowl contention. Their season's really – they're playing for really just wrecking Florida State season the next week. There's no real beef between Florida and Missouri. Not a lot of familiarity with their kids, so it's kind of uh, – it's cold. I don't really want to be here, Coach. You'd be surprised how often that happens, especially when your season's not going the way you thought it would. So, I think Missouri gets this done. It's my third-ranked confident game. People are going to be like, really? Missouri or Florida? Yeah. I mean, got to look at the intangibles there. Where it's on the schedule – Again, Florida usually doesn't go play great up there because, again, Florida guys are not used to going to play in the cold. not saying it can't be done. For the most part, it can't. Florida guys do not like going to play in that cold weather. So, therefore, I like Missouri, and I like Missouri just as an overall team. Again, I, I like if they can get the quarterback play figured out, they can win eight games this year. So, therefore, my third-ranked, my third most confident game in the SEC this year is November 18th, Florida in Missouri. I think the Tigers and Eli Drinkowitz get it done. We got two more left. Two more left. My second most confident game for the, SEC, for the 2023 SEC season. I mean, Tyler he talked about it a little bit. Ole Miss at Tulane. We're getting a little not out of non-conference here. We're getting a little out of conference into a little non-conference play. For whatever reason, this is a sexy up, upset pick for the national media. For whatever reason. And I know it's, they got Chris, yeah, Michael Pratt back, the quarterback who's a good player. Tulane's coming off a Cotton Bowl win against USC. But I just do not see it. And look, this is coming from somebody who's not overly hot on this. I don't think almost going to be bad. I think they're going to be a pretty average football team. Six and six. I got them finishing last in the West. Uh, but I don't think they're going to be bad. But Tulane lost a lot. They lost multiple defensive starters. They got a new defensive coordinator. Probably their best skill guy, best playmaker outside of Pratt, Tajay Spears. Their running back is gone. Departed for the NFL. Good player. And some of their most productive wideouts are gone. Outside of Pratt, them coming off the big winning at USC in the Cotton Bowl, a lot of it's hype, man. And I love what Willie Fritz does at 2A. One of the more underrated jobs every year. They won the AAC last year. They won the American last year, and they may do it again, but I don't think they're ready to go beat a team like Ole Miss. I think Ole Miss is going to put a ton of points up. I think it's a game Ole Miss is kind of like, yeah, we hear people think we're going to lose this game. I think Kiffin kind of has this game circled. But, again, if I'm the – like. Siski brought up, if, the, if I'm Ole Miss fans, the game I'm worried about is the next week. Georgia Tech, first-year staff of Brent Key coming to town because it's the week right before Alabama and it's sandwiched in between the quote-unquote big non-conference game against Tulane. I don't think it's a big non-conference game. I will be shocked if Ole Miss straight up loses this game. Tulane has a lot of holes, man. They have a lot of holes. And Ole Miss has plenty of talent to run them out of their own stadium. Think about it. All, all the Ole Miss fans are going to come in groves. All the Mississippi Gulf Coast Ole Miss fans are going to be there. I mean, that stadium would be painted in red and blue, and probably some powder blue now with the way Ole Miss mixes up their colors. But, man, I, I am very confident Ole Miss gets this done. So, therefore, that's why the September 9th matchup in New Orleans is my second highest confident game of any teams in the SEC this year. Ole Miss at Tulane. I think Ole Miss gets this win easily. And heading to the number one, or my number one, most confident game of the chosen twenty twenty three SEC football season, the September thirtieth matchup, South Carolina at Tennessee. I've mentioned before, Tennessee is a veteran team with thirty two seniors on the entire roster. You better believe it. Josh Hypo and those seniors are not going to forget about that South Carolina. That South Carolina took their college playoff birth away from them last year just got destroyed Tennessee rolled in there with their orange helmets and just got destroyed whether I mean there were rumors bounced around that the defense and offense got into it Joe Milton Jeremy Banks got into it the week of defense didn't want to play for the offense sound like there's some turmoil I don't know if there's any truth to that you you see it posted Tennessee fans like to believe it I, I don't know if it is or not but it is what it is you also better believe those Tennessee fans have not forgotten about this game either you talk to any Tennessee fans. My in-laws are Tennessee people. They bring this game up. This is a game. They're the team and the fans because this game's going to be in Neyland Stadium in Knoxville. South Carolina's walking into a buzzsaw here, and it's been a long time since I've been this confident in a single game. But I, I just don't see any way South Carolina rolls into Knoxville and leaves with a W. I, there, there's just no way. Therefore, this is my number one most confident game. The 2023 SEC season, South Carolina heading to Knoxville and Tennessee. I could see this being a complete blowout. I could see this game, Tennessee doing what they want. Tennessee, this is a game. T- Tennessee's getting to that point a little bit. They're going to, they had this game circled all offseason. I'm sure this one in Georgia, this one in Georgia, I'm sure Alabama too, but really this one, these guys took away our playoff berth, guys. The same quarterback who threw for six touchdowns against us. was counting him on a finger. embarrassed us. They come to our house this year. We owe them one. I think Tennessee's going to owe them a big one. I'm very confident it gets, Tennessee gets this done. But that wraps up my top five most confident games of the 2023 SEC season. Just recapping it. Number five, the November 4th matchup, Kentucky visiting Starkville, Mississippi, Davis-Wade Stadium. Trap game for Kentucky here, sandwiched in between the big emotional game against Tennessee and Alabama coming to town the next week. The trip to Starkville I think has – Just an emotional drain game written all over it. I think Mississippi State gets this done. I think this is one of Zach Arnett's biggest wins of the season. Then my fourth most confident game, October 21st, third Saturday in October, Tennessee at Alabama. I think this is one of those games Alabama and Nick Saban has circled. I think the Bryant-Denny Stadium crowd is going to be rocking. The third Saturday in October rivalry after 16 years, I think it's got some freshness to it. Alabama feels like, all right, they want to come play again a little bit. I think this is a game Alabama has circled. I'm confident the Tide gets it done. My third most confident game, the November 18th matchup. Some may call this random. Florida at Missouri, not high on the Gators. It's going to be cold late November in Columbia. Second last game of the year. I think Florida's going to be at it. Well, not at a bowl contention. I've been winning four games. They won this and beat Florida State. They'd go to a bowl. But that's, these guys aren't just looking to go get a bowl trip. Again, it's going to be cold. They're going to be trying to look next week. They're going to be, man, if we can just beat Florida State, they're going to be looking towards the Florida State. Florida guys don't like going to play in the cold. Therefore, I'm confident. I think Missouri is going to be a good football team, and I think by then they'll have that quarterback situation figured out. So I'm confident the Missouri Tigers get it done against the Gators at home on that November 18th matchup for my third most confident game this year. My second, we're going at a conference. We're going to the Big Easy. Oh, Miss at Tulane, the national media is trying to trick you into pretending this is going to be a close game. If you can go get a line right now, if you can go get a line in Vegas, go load up on the Rebels. I, I don't want to waste your time. I would look it up, but we'd sit here for a minute. Go load up on Ole Miss. Go load up on Ole Miss. Michael Tulane is hype right now, coming off the Cotton Bowl win against USC. Michael Pratt, the quarterback, who's a great player, is back. And again, no disrespect to Willie Mart, uh, to Willie Tatt- No, Willie Fritz. I apologize. We're gonna call him three different Willies. Willie Fritz does a fantastic job at Tulane. They're replacing a ton of guys on defense. New defensive coordinator. Lost their best running back and their best receivers. Ole Miss is gonna put up a lot of points on Tulane. A lot of points. It's going to be a predominantly Ole Miss crowd in New Orleans that week. I'm telling you that. I am so confident in Ole Miss game. Then finally, if I could be any more confident than my number two pick, Ole Miss over Tulane, it's the revenge game. South Carolina on September 30th heading to Neyland Stadium in Knoxville. The veteran Tennessee team, Josh Heupel, they're going to want payback for South Carolina knocking them out of the college football playoff. Last year, this game for Tennessee fans is going to be similar to probably the Alabama atmosphere. I would just be shocked if South Carolina leaves Knoxville with a W. So I am very confident in this Tennessee game, or Tennessee getting it done against South Carolina and getting the revenge against Shane Beamer and the Gamecocks this year. But that's that's it for today's episode. That's it for today. I thought we brought a lot to you. We brought a lot of camp intel. We showed you even a little construction site. You better get your hard hat on if you're going to Nashville this weekend. For the Hawaii Vanderbilt game because they're still not done constructing stuff in that end zone. But hey, it, it's positive. Vanderbilt football is moving in the right direction with Clark Lee adding on to the stadium. We showed you that. Uh, we got Tyler Siski on unique perspective of X's and O's of uh, wide receivers. Why are wide receivers why why are they dropping more footballs now? Like I feel like this is one of the few camps where head coaches have publicly come out in press conferences and make hey uh, a lot of this is on this isn't on our quarterbacks. This is this is a lot of wide receivers. We drop balls today. Siski brought up the jug, jug machine exercises or drills he did. I thought those were interesting. He also brought on, mentioned the dynamic how he would build a roster in modern college football. Now he'd seen it on the personnel side with Hugh Freeze and Nick Saban. Hugh Freeze at Ole Miss, Nick Saban at Alabama. Great guest. Hope you enjoyed that one. And then finally, my top five most confident games in the SEC this year. I just went through them again, but I had a fun time doing this episode. I hope you had a fun time joining us. We'll break down. We got, hey, we got football Saturday. We'll have our first breakdown of the season. Vanderbilt in Hawaii on Thursday, along with some other stuff. Special guest. We'll have somebody on as well. But I appreciate you joining us on this episode of Mach 10 Sports. I hope you have a rest of your week. Keep following us on Mach 10 Sports for the best information on SEC sports.